The word of the Lord from John chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The ministry of Jesus starts with a bang at his baptism. It's not every day that you hear the heavens opening, the Holy Spirit descending, and the Father declaring from heaven, this is my beloved Son. You know it happens because you hear about it. Apparently, however, the crowd doesn't see anything special. So look at the three days of today's gospel lesson through their eyes. On the first of these days, a bunch of people are washed with water by John the Baptist. On the next day, John points out one of the bunch by saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He tells the people that the Spirit descended and remained on this Jesus, even if they didn't see it. And then he tells the crowd that this ordinary-looking man from Nazareth is the Son of God. On the next day, John again points out Jesus as the Lamb of God, and two of his disciples follow Jesus and talk with him. One of them finds his brother, Peter, and tells him that they have found the Messiah, so now Jesus has three disciples. See how it goes? What you see is this. John tells people about Jesus, and some believe and follow him. That's how evangelism worked back then. That's how evangelism works today. It all looks very ordinary this day of Jesus' baptism, and the next day, 
And the next day, eyes see nothing unusual, but faith rejoices in this spectacular truth that God himself has broken into our world, our space and time in order to be the Christ. Take an ordinary Sunday at Good Shepherd, and what do your eyes see here? I see a rather random sample of people gathered together. They stand up, they sit down, they listen, they sing, they speak. Some go forward for a tiny meal, others don't. A child or two acts up, somebody nods off to sleep. Occasionally a baby gets some water splashed on its head. It all really looks rather ordinary and, I dare say, unexciting. But what does faith see? Faith sees the Holy Spirit gather people together according to his work, according to his will. And once they are gathered together, the Son of God speaks to his people by means of the word that they hear. And that word gives life as they sing and speak it into each other's ears. Heaven and earth come together as the Lord invades our space and time again to give his people forgiveness, life, and salvation. Angels, archangels, the whole company of heaven accompany the people here as they sing the praises of God. And the Son of God goes so far as to give his people his own body and blood for their salvation. It'll be the same the next Sunday and the next Sunday after that. Your eyes will tempt you to believe that it's all very unremarkable. Meanwhile, faith sees the door cracked open to heaven and faith takes a peek. People are attracted to the spectacular over the ordinary. This afternoon, of course, there are some football games on TV. A sporting event like that is quite the adrenaline rush and emotional roller coaster, and that's a draw for people. There's a reason why the NFL can charge $100-plus a ticket to get in and why the games are broadcast internationally. For reasons that will not make you scratch your head, we do not charge $100 a seat, and the networks are not banging down the door to televise our services. Bear in mind that I enjoy watching football, and once I'm done tormenting the confirmands this afternoon, I'll probably nap to it for a bit. However, a quick comparison. Those games are about grown men running around a field to advance a ball that is not shaped like a ball across a line. In contrast, here, we have the Son of God come down from heaven and give us grace and eternal life. The NFL has cheerleaders who don't actually lead cheers. We have angels and archangels join us in hymns. They charge 20 bucks for a hot dog. Here, the Son of God gives us a holy meal bought for you by his own blood. Sure, they'll have a worldwide audience who have the game in common. But here we are joined in Christ to his living saints around the world and throughout history. At the end of the game, half of the football fans will be disappointed. Here, all the people of God share in the victory. All of this is absolutely true, which is why if we held church on Sunday afternoons, faith would gladly skip the Super Bowl, even if the Seahawks were playing. 
But whether or not it's football, people are tempted to skip church because, well, church is so ordinary and because it'll be there next Sunday too. That's just one comparison. I trust that you have a Bible at home, and in Scripture you have the living Word of God that strengthens your faith and gives you eternal life as God speaks to you. It's easy to pass over a daily study of Scripture for a TV show or the book which gives no such gifts. And while reading the Bible daily requires discipline, I'm guessing nobody says, I need to force myself to watch Netflix for at least 20 minutes per day because I know it's good for me. There are a few things at work here. One is simply an aversion to the things of God. Your sinful flesh wants anything but the things of God. If there's a choice between reading scripture or staring at a blank wall, your old Adam wants to study paint texture. There is no easier place for daydreaming than church because your sinful nature is squirming as the word of God defeats it again. And of course, old Adam never wants to accept blame, so it blames everything else, like how boring the pastor, how foreign the hymns, or whatever. For my part, I will endeavor not to be boring as long as you endeavor not to be bored. At the same time, it's still a red herring. If a pastor speaks the absolution in a dusty monotone, those words still deliver forgiveness and eternal life. The same cannot be said for the most caffeinated announcer calling the winning touchdown. When you find fault outside yourself, beware. Even where there is fault to be found, your sinful nature will use it to push your sin on someone else and keep you away from the gifts of God. Another thing at work is love for the spectacular. There is within you the love for something new, something different, something out of the routine. Now, this is a gift of God that leads to imagination and creativity, but it's also a gift that is terribly abused. And it is abused when you reject God's ordinary gifts because they're the same that they always have been. Bear in mind that what you call ordinary, God calls consistently faithful. I suppose that if we only had church on Christmas and Easter, we'd probably do it up big and they'd be super special services. I suppose if we only celebrated the Lord's Supper once a year, it would seem more special to us. Remember, though, that the church is the bride of Christ. And if a husband and wife only see each other twice a year for an hour, that's going to be a pretty awful marriage. If they only ate once a year, they'd be parted. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder and starvation doesn't strengthen. In both congregations and marriage, love is forged by the ongoing routine presence with one another, going about the most ordinary things. For, as Martin Luther says, God has made his greatest gifts to be the most ordinary. The third factor is a combination of the first two. Because you have an aversion to the things of God and because you have a love for the spectacular, you'd like a different message than God hanging dead on a cross for your redemption. Old Adam prefers messiahs who wear capes. 
And this takes us back to John the Baptist as he reveals the Messiah to his hearers. You're so familiar with his words, but listen again. It's a strange way to introduce the almighty, eternal Son of God who will come again to judge the living and the dead. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not behold the Lion of God or behold the Eagle of God or behold the unbeatable T-Rex of God. Not some other noble, fearsome creature metaphor at all. No, he calls Jesus the Lamb. And what are lambs good for? Lambs are good for dying, for bleeding is a sacrifice. People are not intimidated by lambs. Ever since the book of Exodus, God has declared them to be sacrificial victims to take away sins and save from death. I think it's not what the people there would expect to hear, right? I mean, think of going to a stadium to see the Incredible Hulk in person, and when you arrive, the angry green giant appears on stage and gives a mild-mannered lecture on counted cross-stitch. Not what you'd expect or hope for, right? Jesus hasn't come in the flesh to leap tall buildings, but to take away the sins of the world. He performs miracles, but only to show he has the power to defeat sin. Attracted to the spectacular, you'd rather have the sort of Messiah who bangs heads together and takes names, because then you'd expect him to follow up by giving you a glorious, carefree life. But that is not the way of God, who saves by his love, his service, his sacrifice, his blood. He comes as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He comes to take away your sin. That's why more than once at this very service, you sing of the Lamb of God. You sing of the Lamb and the Gloria just before you hear Him in His Word. And you sing of the Lamb in the unused day just before you receive His body and blood. You tie His Lambness to His Word and to His Supper. Although He veils His glory, the Son of God who gave His life in your place visits you to forgive you, to strengthen your faith and renew your salvation. And if this is how he chooses to do it, we don't ask if the Lord will be kind enough to mix it up for our enjoyment. No, we gratefully say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Rejoice, my friends. The Lord is faithful today and the next day and the next day after that. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.